Continuing in Genesis 15, we're going to read verses uh, 7 through 21, but just by way of reminder, last week we um, talked heavily and emphasized that Abram believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Um, and we talked about the fact that it is it is still the same today. Uh, there's nothing that we do. We can't work hard enough, strive hard enough, will hard enough or anything of that nature. There is a promise of God that stands that all who look upon the Son and believe will be saved. And all who have faith in that, all who believe that, uh, it is counted to them, credited to them, to us as righteousness. So we talked a lot about that last week and praise God for that, that salvation is by grace through faith. Now today, we're again, we're reading verses 7 through 21. There's going to be a covenant that is made between God and and Abram, uh, which is going to be significant, you're going to see uh, that Abram is pretty much going to be um, a bystander uh, in this covenant. That God kind of makes the covenant and seals the covenant just with Himself, which is going to be of significance, and we'll talk about that. Uh, And then, by the end of the sermon, what I want us to really do is instead of having that lens zoomed in to where we're just looking at Abram and this covenant, I want us to kind of zoom out and get a really big picture of the fact that once again, I'm going to say this, everything in the Old Testament points to Christ. There are so many things that are a foreshadow or a type or or just a shadow of things to come. And we're going to see that. Today, from Genesis 15, the reason why I think that that's so important for us to to practice this and and to develop this habit of when we read the Old Testament that we we see these connections and we see these types and shadows uh, of Christ. We see these types and shadows of the new and greater covenant that is to come. The reason why I think that's so important for us is because that continually, uh, repetitively enhances our faith and it reinforces in our minds and in our hearts God is faithful God is faithful God is faithful God accomplishes all that he intends God is sovereign God reigns over all creation and he does accomplish all that he intends and the more that we remind ourselves of that the more that we set our hearts and minds upon that truth the less likely we will be to forget it when we need to bring into remembrance the fact that God is faithful and He accomplishes all that He intends. When those trials and storms of life hit and we're tempted to kind of forget God and get so caught up in the fact that, oh, something huge is happening right now. We're tempted to forget God when what we need to be doing is reminding ourselves that God is faithful. He has given us His promises and we need to have a faith that cannot be shaken. So that's by the end of the sermon. I want us to zoom out. But let's go ahead, dive in. Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 7. And God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. 
And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites, all the Ites. Okay. So what's significant here is Abram said, how, how, how can I know? How am I to know that I will possess this land, that these promises will be recognized, that they will be realized? And in order to, to show Abram the certainty of this promise, God makes a covenant. Now, Abram's there, but if you noticed, Abram's kind of off to the side in a stupor. Not a drunken stupor like Noah, but he's, he's there. He doesn't really partake in this cutting of a covenant. Now, that's an Old Testament phrase, to cut a covenant. Uh, you notice that all of the animals except the birds were cut in half and laid against one another. And so typically what would happen is two parties that were entering into a covenant, they would lay the animals out and they would walk in between the animals as they cut the covenant. And the repercussion would simply be if either one of us fails to uphold our end of the bargain, then let what happened to these animals happen to me. Right? So then we consider, well, God... God made this covenant and He kind of sealed this covenant. He cut this covenant with Himself. Because it wasn't Abram and God that walked in between the pieces of the animals. Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And so you could say God cut this covenant with Himself. Meaning that if, if, if this does not come to pass, then let what happened to these animals happen to him, and, and so there's certainty there because God cannot lie. God cannot be dishonest. If God has spoken and said something will come to pass, it is sure to come to pass. This is why we started with Hebrews 6 at the beginning of the service that when God wanted to make something so perfectly known that it was certain that by two unchangeable things, He swore by Himself with an oath and so we see the certainty of that promise. Now, in verse 11, it says, When birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. I will share this. I'll, I'll be brief with this. Because in my studies, I actually stumbled across a, uh, an interpretation of this text that I wasn't overly familiar with. I've, I've studied deeply on the, the 
cutting a covenant and the fact that God cut this covenant with Himself and the significance of that so we can know that it will be certain. But um, one of the commentaries I was flipping through made note that because Egypt is referenced here, when God tells Abram, your, your people, your offspring will be sojourners and they will be servants in a land not their own for 400 years, that's a direct connection to the fact that the Hebrews, the Israelites were going to be enslaved in Egypt. And if you look at the timeline, which we'll get to that because we're going through Genesis, but uh, all of that checks out. That it could be, it could be, that in cutting these animals and laying them out, that represents the people of God, the nation. When Egypt or any of their enemies come down to consume them, they're protected. Abram serves as a, as a, as a sign of, uh, of God's protection driving them away. And then when you get to the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch, that actually represents the pillar of, uh, the, the pillar of smoke, the pillar of cloud, and the pillar of fire that actually accompanies the, the Hebrews after they have left Egypt. But I'll keep that brief. Uh, sometimes I don't put stuff like that in sermons because I don't want people to just start uh, thinking how that checks out and uh, you actually check out of this sermon. But I thought that was interesting. I do think there is uh, some connections there, some precedents there. So I wanted to share that. But what we're going to look at this morning is not all of the connections along that line of thinking. What we're going to look at simply is this. There was a promise given. And God in making it known that this promise was certain. That it would surely come to pass. Cuts a covenant. Makes a a promise with Himself to Abram. What does this mean for us? Why is this significant for us? And keeping that connection with last week that we're justified by faith. We have faith in the promises of God. So therefore we should think that we should consider it somewhat important. Well, if I have faith in the promises of God, how can I know that the promises of God are certain? That's applicable for us today. So, the first part of what the Lord reveals to Abram here in verse 13, He says, The Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Hmm. That seems pretty grim. Abram says, How how can I know that, that, that I will possess these things? How can I know that this is certain? And the Lord says, well, know this. Your offspring will be sojourners in a land not their own. They will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. You say, well, there doesn't really seem to be too much to rejoice in that other than the fact that there will be offspring. So that's part of the promise of God. But they'll be sojourners and they'll be afflicted for 400 years. Huh. That doesn't really make you feel like you want to throw a party for anything, right? But the next thing we read is this. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterwards, they will come out with great possessions. Then he says this. As for you, you will go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So, the promised offspring will be sojourners and servants and afflicted and a land not their own for 400 years. That seems grim. 
but God will bring judgment on the other nation and his people, Abram's offspring, will be set free from their bondage. They will be redeemed and they will leave with great possessions. Then we see plainly, Abram's not going to be around for this part of the promise. Because the Lord said, as for you, you'll be buried with your fathers, buried in a good old age. The significance that I want us to pull out of that is that these promises are given to Abram. And Abram's not even going to be around to recognize the fullness of these promises. God does not need Abram to be around to fulfill all of these promises. God's plans are not contingent upon Abram being there, doing what Abram has to do or whatever. God's plans are contingent upon Himself. There's a phrase that I've been repeating for the past few weeks. God accomplishes all that He intends. The reason that God is able to accomplish all that He intends is because He does not stand in need and He does not rely on anything or any person other than Himself to accomplish all that He intends. God gives these promises to Abram. He does not need Abram to continue living or continue to be there. Abram doesn't have to be there in Egypt to make sure that the people actually get out of Egypt. God sends Moses. Abram is simply a vessel of mercy, a vessel of grace that God is using to accomplish all that God intends. God is using Abram for his glory to bring about his plans, but he does not need. His plans are not contingent. He does not rely upon Abram. You say, well, Caleb, why do you feel the need to to stress that? Because it is no different with us. God has saved us. God has redeemed us. But God does not rely upon us. God's plans are not contingent upon us ultimately. God is going to continue to accomplish all that He intends. God is going to continue to bring about all that He has purposed, all that He has ordained to come to pass. And we are simply recipients of grace and God, yes, God has prepared us for good works and we are to walk in those good works. And we should rejoice that God saw fit not just to save us, not just to call us to Himself, but He has a purpose in all of the things that He has called us to. There is eternal weight and eternal significance to the life that God has given us. So I don't want you to think, oh, well, Caleb's, Caleb's telling us that God doesn't need us and God doesn't rely upon us. That kind of just makes me feel like, well, what am I even here for? That's the opposite of how I want you to process that and digest that. God does not need us. He's not, his plans are not contingent upon us. However, as the recipients of his grace, he has left us here. He has prepared us for good works. And all of those good works, every aspect of our lives, he has ordained for his glory and for a purpose. And yes, he uses those things to bring about his plans. God ordains the, the ends as well as the means. And so God has saved us. He has left us here for a purpose, for a reason. And every aspect of our lives is for His glory as He brings about all of His plans. 
And as individuals, let us not forget that all of the things that He has ordained for us, He is continually shaping us into the image of Christ so that we may look more and more and reflect more and more the image of His Son. But don't overlook that. Abram's, when we're talking about the people of Israel being in bondage for 400 years, we're talking about their enslavement in Egypt under Pharaoh. Abram's not there for any of that. And yet everything still comes to pass just as God said that it would. But Abram here, chosen by God, vessel of mercy, vessel of grace, he will have a son of his own household. It will not be Eliezer of Damascus. It will be his own son, him and Sarah. Isaac will be born. And then that lineage continues to go, but Abram's going to be buried in a good old age with his fathers. He's not going to be around for any of this. But yet God's plans still continue on. And this is all of us. This is all of us. We can relate to Abram in that regard. When the sun had gone down, verse 17 again, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. His offspring, Abram's offspring will possess the land. Why? How can Abraham know this? Because God said And even when Abram said, how am I to know this? God simply made a covenant, cut a covenant with Himself. In Genesis 17, same thing. God God swears by Himself. Again, we started with Hebrews chapter 6. A promise and an oath that by two unchangeable things, God who cannot lie promised these things. For the believer, what else could we possibly need In order to believe than to know that God, the God of all creation, the unchanging God, the faithful God, the sovereign of all creation, that He has spoken, that He has promised. What more could we possibly need? If we say, well, I don't have faith. How how can I know for sure that these things will come to pass? Why do we need anything more than the truth that God has given us His Word? God who cannot lie. God who is faithful. God who has set His steadfast love upon His people. If He has given us His Word, if He has given us His sure and unchanging promises, why do we yet lack faith? We ought not. For if God has spoken, it will surely come to pass. So let's consider this enslavement for 400 years. Uh, For those of you that are familiar with Genesis and Exodus, you probably made that connection. I know that I've referenced it, but just in reading that, you may have read that and said, oh, well, that makes sense because Abram's offspring, they're going to end up in Egypt and they're going to be enslaved there by 400 years. 
And then God sends Moses and they're brought out. And when they leave Egypt, they leave with great possessions. So this makes sense. By the way, consider that. Nothing about the Exodus was on accident. Nothing about the Exodus was God like trying to come up with another plan. Be like, oh man, my people got enslaved. I got to... All of this was told to Abram straight up. This is exactly what's going to happen. This is the part of the sermon where I want us to, to zoom out and consider something. Everything in the Old Testament, a top and shadow of things to come. At this point, we could break down uh, the projection of Abram's life and his offspring like this. Abram is to be the father of a great nation. And his promised son will be the heir of his household. His offspring will be enslaved for many years, but they will be saved out of that bondage. And we know, if you're familiar with Exodus, they're saved out of that bondage by a redeemer, Moses, and the blood of the Lamb. And they are taken to a land that is theirs, namely the promised land given to Abram. So let me run through that one more time. Abram is to be the father of a great nation. His promised son will be the heir of his household. His offspring will be enslaved for many years in a land that's not their own. They will be saved out of that bondage by a redeemer and through the blood of the lamb and taken to a land that is theirs, namely the promised land given to Abram. We've zoomed out. Let us consider this. God is the father of a great nation and His promised Son is to be the heir of His household. His people will be in bondage to sin and serve as slaves of sin, but will be saved out of that bondage through a Redeemer and by the blood of the Lamb. And they will be led to a land that is their own, namely the promised land of eternal glory. You see that? When we say that the Old Testament is a shadow of things to come. It's significant. It matters. All of these things ultimately point to Christ. All of these things ultimately point to the redemption, the salvation, the eternal life that is found in Christ alone. And all of this, every last detail of it, think about this. That could not be true if God was not sovereign and exercised power and authority over all creation. This could not happen by accident. This could not be coincidence. It cannot simply be coincidence that Abram was to be the father of a great nation and he had a promised son. And that his offspring would be enslaved. And that they would have to be redeemed. And that that redemption, that being brought out of Egypt would include the blood of the Lamb. On the doorpost. And that as a result of that, the people would be led into the promised land which God had promised beforehand. There is no way that it's just a coincidence or it's just an accident. There's no way that it just, that the cookie crumbled that way. That it also stands that God is the father of a great nation, a people for his own possession. And his only begotten son is the heir of his household. 
and that those people would also be enslaved in bondage to sin and that they would be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and that as a result of that, all those who are redeemed will be led to a land that is promised to them, namely, eternal glory. The new heavens and the new earth. Things like this cannot be explained by, oh, well, it just happened that way. That's really cool. That's really neat. No. God planned it to be so. God has ordained all of these things that came to pass here, that are still coming to pass, that will come to pass. So we can say with full confidence, just as Jesus said in the New Testament, when He's speaking of the Old Testament, all of that pertains to me. Now that's a big statement. For Jesus to say, all of that Old Testament pertains to me. That's huge. Even here in Genesis 15, when we have this little snapshot of, oh, your people will be, your offspring will be enslaved for 400 years. They'll be afflicted for 400 years. But later they will be brought out and with great possessions. All of these things, when we consider the greatness and the vastness and the wisdom and the power and the authority and the grace and the mercy of God, It should bolster our faith. This is the God that we serve. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. The God of Jacob. He is still the same God today. And we can rest in His Word. And in His promises. Spoiler alert for those of you who may not be familiar with all of the Old Testament texts or the the Exodus account. Spoiler alert, God's people reached the promised land. Now, there was some events that happened in the wilderness, but God's people reached the promised land after they got out of Egypt. Why? Because God is faithful. They certainly didn't make it to the promised land because they did everything right. Or because they deserved it or earned it. They made it to the promised land because God gave a promise to Abraham. Here's another spoiler alert. I'm sorry for those of you who don't like spoilers. Just like God's people reached the promised land in the Old Testament, God's people, namely us, will reach the promised land. Why? Because God is faithful. God is faithful. Not because of anything that we have done or are doing or will do, but simply because God is faithful. It was God's perfect and sovereign plan from start to finish. And we see that here. If you've ever wondered, why did, why or how did God's people end up in Egypt anyway? Why, why was that even a thing? How was that part of the plan? When you ask questions like that, I want you to know and I want you to be excited that there's biblical answers to those things. Why did God's people end up in Egypt? Because it was part of God's plan. You say, well, that's a cop out. Okay, well, let's get more specific. How do God's people being in bondage in a land that's not their own, being enslaved in a land that's not their own, but later being redeemed... 
How in the world could that possibly apply to us today? Well, we're born in sin. We didn't ask to be enslaved. We didn't ask to be born dead. We're born dead in sin because of Adam's transgression. And there's nothing we can do to free ourselves. There's nothing we can do to break free from sin. We need a Redeemer. God has sent that Redeemer. Christ. In the Exodus. When that last plague came. The death of the firstborn. What led to God's people being passed over. Was the blood on the doorpost. We are redeemed. We are saved by the blood of the Lamb. So you say, why in the world would God ever want His people enslaved to later be redeemed? But why would He want, why would that be a part of His plan for them to be afflicted and to suffer as a picture to point to Christ? Well, why would, it, why would He want everything to point to Christ so that Christ will have preeminence in all things? One of the mysteries that is revealed in the New Testament, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, one of the mysteries is that all things will be united, both on earth and in heaven, all things will be united in Him, in Christ. And in Colossians, Paul words it by saying, Christ will have preeminence in all things. That has always been the will of the Father. Even as these promises are being made to Abram, the end goal is for Christ to have preeminence. Even as we're reading the unfolding of, of our human existence as creation as we know it, if we were to go from Genesis to Exodus, all the way through the Pentateuch, and then go to Joshua, Judges, and all the way through the Old Testament, the point of any of it ultimately is for Christ to have preeminence. In all things. There was never a moment in any of this. By the way, the stu- uh, we're still in Genesis 15. So obviously the Exodus, even the Israelites being in Egypt, none of this has even happened yet. But as we've zoomed out and we're considering all these things, there's never a moment in Israel's history when God was not in full control of everything. Why is that significant for us today? There is never a moment in our lives where God is not fully in control of everything. You say, well, I feel like I've had to endure some affliction. I feel like I've been through a lot of hard times. Okay, there is a purpose and there is a plan and there is meaning behind all of your afflictions, all of your hard times, all of your pain, all of your turmoil. There's purpose in it. How does that affliction, how does that pain, how does that heartache, how do those trials, how do those things point you to Christ so that He can have preeminence in all things? You say, I don't like thinking like that when I'm in a trial or a tribulation or when I'm afflicted or when I'm suffering. I just like thinking about, how can I be done with this? That's not how we ought to think as believers. We ought to seek wisdom. We ought to seek knowledge and understanding. But we also should think, as believers, we should think with an understanding and a knowledge of Scripture that reminds us there is a purpose for everything. If I'm suffering right now, if I'm going through a trial right now, if, I'm a, if I feel afflicted right now, God has a purpose in that. God, grant me wisdom. Help me to see 
what your plan, what your purpose in this is. Because here's one thing for sure. What you're going through, what you're suffering with, is not for no reason. It's not just a fluke. You say, I don't, I don't know how I got in this mess, or I don't know how our family got in this mess, but we've got to find a way out of it. No. Seek wisdom. Is God humbling you? Is God testing your faith? Is God simply trying to enhance or grow your knowledge and wisdom of Christ? All of the above. But one thing we can know for certain is that there is not one second of our life that is not without purpose and without meaning. Why? Because God is God. And there's a meaning and a purpose for all things, even the affliction, even the suffering, even the pain. God is over all of it. And above all of that, we have, we have the promise that not only, not only are we saved, not only is there sanctification, there's purpose in everything, we know for God's people, for God's people, what is our inheritance? To be with Him in glory forever. And we know that there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And we will be there for eternity. And guess what can stand in the way of that promise? Nothing. Nothing. And we know that anything that we suffer or go through here is not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. And we rejoice in that. So that's zooming out. A lot of thoughts there. A lot of things to consider there. We zoom back in. Genesis 15. God has made this covenant with Himself. Again, Abram is a vessel. A vessel of God that has received mercy and grace and has been called by God to accomplish God's purposes. Abram has received these promises from God. And as a way to show Abram that these promises are sure, these promises are firm, they are certain. God cuts a covenant, makes a covenant. And He is the only one who walks between the parts of the animal. So this covenant... The fullness of this covenant is upon God's shoulders. And just to really drive that home, I'm going to go, God who cannot lie. God who is faithful. God who is unchanging. The fulfillment of these promises to Abraham rest fully upon God's shoulders. When something, when a promise a covenant with an, when an oath is dependent upon God, what are the chances that that covenant or that promise or that oath will not be fully fulfilled? There is zero chance. Why? Because God is perfect. And He is sure and He is truth and He cannot lie. So what are the chances of those promises not coming to fruition? There's no chance of that happening. So how should that bolster our faith? Our faith should be full. Our faith should be bold. Our faith should be confident. Our faith should be rooted and grounded in the knowledge of God and who He is and the knowledge of Christ our Savior.
God's people, Abram's offspring, did inherit the land. Abram wasn't there. He didn't have to be there. And God still accomplished all that He intended to accomplish. God has given His people many promises. And all of God's promises are yes in Jesus. The object of our faith. I pray that as we consider all of these truths, again, that we, that our faith is caused to grow and mature and be more sure. I didn't mean that in rhyme. I'm not trying to make a song up here. God's promise, that's right, Ren. <laughs> to connect this to last week, just a bit, and then to close. Last week we talked about how Abram, and even us today, justified by faith. Our belief, our faith is credited as righteousness. We looked at Romans 4 and a little bit of Romans 5. Here a covenant is made. The promises are secured, so to speak. From this point forward, Abram is still just going to continue to walk by faith. Abram stumbles. He does not walk in perfect faith. But he walks in faith and he believes the promises of God. And again, it is no different for us today. We walk by faith, not by sight. I know that that is a, that is a phrase that it to, it's almost on the borderline of being overdone to the point that it becomes cliche. But cliches are cliches for a reason. They became so popular for a purpose. We don't walk by sight as believers. We walk by faith. Is our faith perfect to the point that we never stumble in our faith? Our faith never weakens? We just have a perfect faith? No. But we walk by faith. We rest in the promises of God. And when we find our faith struggling, when we find our faith weak, or when we find ourselves falling short or doubting or being fearful, what is it that confirms our faith? What is it that restrengthens our faith? What is it that rejuvenates our faith? It's simply this. Consider God. Consider Christ. Consider the object of your faith. And you will be strengthened. And you will be restored or rejuvenated in a sense. We are justified by faith. And we walk by faith. Not faith in ourselves. Like, oh, I've got to do stuff right. I've got to make sure I'm, I'm doing what I need to do. No, we walk in faith that God has given us promises. God will fulfill those promises. God has promised that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He has promised that He will sanctify us. He has promised that we will be molded into the image of Jesus Christ. He has promised that He will bring us home. Jesus Himself even prayed in John 17. In His high priestly prayer, Father, I pray that these You have given Me, that they will be with Me where You are, so that they may see the glory that I've had since before the foundation of the world. He has given us these promises. And we walk by faith, not faith in ourselves, but faith that God is God, and He has not only saved us, but He is bringing us home to a place that He has prepared for us. And that in the meantime, in the in-between, every moment of our lives 
has purpose, has meaning, and it is for His glory. So we are justified by faith and we walk by faith. And of course, for the believer, once more I simply pray that this sermon, as we discuss these things, that this has been an encouragement, that this has bolstered your faith. But for those that that may hear this and say, well, I'm, I'm still on the fence. I don't even know that I am saved. Or for those who are certain and say, well, I, I know I'm not saved. I know I've never repented and believed that I can joyfully and eagerly tell you this morning that it is still no different. All who believe will be saved. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All who turn to Christ in repentance and faith will be saved. What hinders you? Believe. And you will be saved. And then these promises, these things that we've discussed this morning, are yours just as much as they are ours. Because all of the promises of God are yes in Jesus. Let's pray.